This is Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person who also knows that big pleasures can grow from little things. And so that's a headline on uh, one of a, a blog posts from my guest today, Jack McCann, um, owner of TC Farm. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Now, okay, so let's start. Just tell us a little bit about your personal story. Well, Betsy and I, we grew up in Eden Prairie. Betsy's your wife. Betsy's my wife, thank you. Uh, we grew up in Eden Prairie, and we love to cook. So we, we found that if we get good quality ingredients, and we didn't really know a lot about cooking, but we muddled along our own way, and we could get good quality ingredients, and we'd spend less money than if we went out to a casual dining restaurant, and it would taste way better, even though we weren't really that great of chefs at the time. So we found that we loved to cook, and we kept looking for higher quality ingredients. And did that mean it was organic? Did that mean it was local? What was it? We read all of the um, Michael Pollan, you know, Joe Salatin type books, and found that we really thought it'd be a great idea to get some seeds from Seed Saver, right? I'm sure you're familiar with them. Sure. So we got some planter boxes in our um, little suburban rented house at the time, and put um, some seeds in there for these lettuces. And I'll be honest, I don't really like lettuce, or at least I didn't think I did. <laughs> But we got these lettuces and we'd we'd pick them out and and tasted them just by themselves with like maybe a little maybe a little bit of sea salt and was like this was probably the best thing I've ever had a piece of lettuce and realized there's got to be more to finding better quality foods so that was to start us on the path. So one little box garden with some lettuce started you on a path, and that was about ten years ago, and so then um, you bought a hobby farm. Yeah, we decided that we, we looked around for, for meat products. We thought, well, there's lots of great options for veggies, and, and we kept looking for higher-quality meat products, and chicken in particular. And we found that all the local farms at the time, that we could find at least, were raising the same kind of genetics that were in you know the quote-unquote factories, the Cornish crossbirds. And we thought, well, the, what made the lettuce so good was a different genetics from the seed savers. And we found that there's different breeds of chicken that taste way better. And we, but we couldn't find anybody to raise them. We just heard this like as a rumor or something. So we decided we would just buy our own farm and we would figure out how to raise chickens. Um, and it worked out. They were really good. And each we had three different breeds, and each one was dramatically different. Yeah, and we was, so that was our little experiment. And over the last um, 10 years, it's turned into a larger cooperative of families and, and small farms who have a similar ideology of what's the best food, what's the no shortcut food. So we serve about 700 families um, directly through our monthly deliveries. And I think when we think of American farms, our idealistic vision is of the small, diverse farm. Is that what's common in our food system? It is really not common. <laughs> <laughs> Most people, um, I think, growing up on farms w would lament that the majority of their classmates move to the city and, and because that's where there's jobs and income. And Having a small farm starting off as a, as a young couple is very difficult financially. Um, it, just the land is very expensive. If you're not big, you know, get out. That's been just an ongoing trend. So what's super fun for us partnering with some of these real little farms is people actually do have their farm where, you know, one of our farmers, Keith, raises all of his own organic grains or substantially all of it, uh, feeds that to pigs and chickens for TC Farms, and that's his product that he contributes to the, the cooperative group, and that's his income. He also farms some conventional fields, because if you're renting land, mostly you can't, um, you can't actually farm it organic, um, but most of his I mean, steady income is coming from, from the TC Farm group, so it's pretty cool to support that and actually make that what you think of as a family diversified farm you know, exist. Right, because, I mean, there's been, uh, let's just quickly review the history. Um, Minnesota, uh, we had a lot, a lot of small farms um, at the turn of the century and uh, throughout the 60s and the, in the 70s. And then in the 1980s, under Reagan, under Earl Butts, there was a saying, get big or get out. And a lot of farms went out during that farm crisis. Yeah, it was hugely impactful, and I think that's still continuing. If you look at the price of dairy right now, I think Governor Waltz just talked about that recently as well, and I know the commissioners are also concerned about that, and what can we do to keep Minnesota dairies from going under right now? Right, and it's 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 tragic. It's really sad. I have a friend that uh, married a dairy farmer, so I'm a little familiar with that, and it's, it is, I mean, I don't think we really understand how hard it is. I know um, Governor Wells' administration and the Department of Agriculture has a lot on mental health services right now because it's just, it is that hard. 
Correct. It's very hard right now for those for a lot of the farmers. And and there's been tremendous consolidation, especially in the meat industry in the last couple decades. Yeah, it's pretty much like you said, get big or get out and, and that you know, what are the last little tiny bits of efficiency you can squeeze out of it? And that's really endemic of just how the whole system works. That if you spend an extra penny, you know, per pound of your chicken to make it a tiny bit better that extra cost gets multiplied along the distributor and at the retail level, and it ends up costing the consumer way more than a penny. It seems like we should be able to say, you know, if we spent 50 cents extra, we could do all these great things with agriculture. But the consumer probably wouldn't be surprised that that 50 cents is really going to cost them maybe $2 at their plate. Well, but then there's these huge external costs that our system does not take into account. So there's the external costs of nitrates in the water, of uh, the soil quality, um, losing organic matter, of the impacts on climate change, of our increased um, health care costs from the cancers that we get from all the pesticides. So there's this disconnect in the system um, between the external costs of, of our food. Yeah, I think you started saying cheap food's not cheap. I think that's absolutely true, and it just depends on where we, where you want to invest. Um, certainly, climate change is a big issue with air culture. I think air culture is a significant percentage of greenhouse gas emissions at like 30, 40%. Well, in the, um, there was a national organization, international organization called Grain, and Grain actually counted it up to 50%. And so, so, but what, what, and so there's a lot of different ways of looking at that. But what's happening right now is if you cut down the rainforest to grow beef for a global system, that is really bad for the climate. You know, beef gets a really bad name in, in that greenhouse gas emission. I think that it's accurate in a macro sense, but inaccurate in, in a, what it maybe it could be. I've read a couple different studies. I think Lance Stewardship published something mm -hmm. out of the Iowa um, a couple of years ago. We linked to it on our website where if all of the beef production was raised actually on green pasture with rotationally grazing, so it would build up that organic matter you mentioned, build up the topsoil, that's capturing carbon out of the air um, and it would actually offset the methane emissions from the cattle and actually have a net negative greenhouse gas emission on that food production because you're taking so much, capturing so much carbon and sequestering it in the soil versus the reverse of our current meat production is kind of in the reverse, taking that carbon out of the soil for the grain production, feeding it into feedlot to those those cattle. Exactly. And so it's it's never these simple binary things like beef is bad, veggies are plant-based is good. It's, it's more complex because David Montgomery, who spoke at the Nobel conference, said the same thing that you're saying right now is that if you're doing it in a way that's um, building up organic soil matter, actually having animals on the land is better for overall climate emissions. Yeah, I would agree that if you're choosing purely from a greenhouse gas emission perspective, uh, organic tofu or uh, a rotationally grazed 100% grass-fed beef, you're going to have significantly less emissions from that beef than you would from the tofu. There's just so much... Um, tillage and soil degradation, even in an organic system, to support that. Right. And so our listeners um, are passionate about um, um, countering climate change and um, helping the water and helping the soil. And so you're working and helping to build small, diverse farmers who are connecting with each other and creating a marketplace to sell food, which is friendly to the water and the soil and the climate and the insects. Yeah, we found that when we started, we kind of wanted to do everything ourselves, just like we read this Joel Salton book, you, know, you can farm. And <laughs> boy, we, I, we didn't know what we were doing, but we sure tried to do everything. We had our own butcher's license. We made our own sausages. We, we, did, we did, did all the deliveries and warehouse management. I mean, every single thing, which I think is the experience of a lot of those farmers you see that start off with to go to the farmer's market and do that kind of work. What you find, though, is that you stop being able to do the passion that you want. You're not able to farm. If you got into farming because you really cared about animal welfare or you really cared about the environment, you're spending most of your time sitting at a farmer's market stand or delivering or doing customer service for free. And, and that really wasn't why you got into farming. That's why we see so many farms, especially veggie CSA farmers, turning over right now where it's just too much, you know, of that non-farming work. If that isn't why they got into it. And so our farms um, in the TC Farm Group get to focus on idealistically raising the animals under their care and, and we collaborate as a group to try to make it better and better every year. And, and then my job 
unfortunately turned into a computer job, which is <laughs> not what I wanted to go back to. <laughs> but I'm, I'm the guy that does all that stuff right now, and uh, I don't get to do all of the, the hobby farming stuff, which we originally wanted to do. But I get to visit and, and, and collaborate and, and get a connection that way. And revolutionize the food system in your own little ecosystem. So your products are available at Seward Co-op. So if you go to Seward Co-op right now and you go to the meat section, you can look for TC Farm, and you have um, three products there now. We have three new products that Seward is definitely um, one of the better cooperatives in the area looking to try to really dig into some of these details and and really try to solve some of the transparency issues, I think, in the food system. So we our three products that we have there right now are, are organic, um, seasoned hot dogs, and they're super good. Like, adults love them. You should definitely try them. Uh, and they're uh, also, we also have our herb bacon, which is pretty cool. I'll get back to And then we have a, a barbecued pulled pork. It's a 48-hour smoked pork with the Minneapolis Triple Crown organic sauce on it. Oh, it's, wonderful. Yeah, it's really Andy. good. Yeah, Andy's super fun to work with, so he's he makes that sauce. We put that in there. So those three items are at Seward. The herb bacon is super cool if I can because sure. it's, um, it's got no sugar. It's a European-style mm. bacon, um, so it's just really herbs, and there's no nitrates. And a lot of times you see the uncured, no nitrate thing. That just means there's no celery powder that uses celery powder nitrates instead of the synthetic nitrates. Our herb bacon has no nitrates. The ingredients are just the, the pork, the herb, organic herbs, and salt, and they get cooked. So it it's super healthy. It doesn't have those cancer concerns like you mentioned in the beginning, and has... Um, it hasn't had the sugar, so it's No really, added sugar bacon. Yeah, it's actually really cool because American bacon, it's a very different style. Some people might like it, but I love it. You love it. Okay, so you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. I'm Laura Hedlund, and we're talking with Jack McCann with TC Farm. Feeling so high, I'm floating in. We at Total Dog Company are hands-on dog lovers. We are involved in the care of all aspects of our dogs. The same kind of hands-on care is found in Canada brand pet foods. From growing increasing amounts of the ingredients in their foods to cooking their recipes in their own cookery, Canada is a small, independent company that focuses on the hands-on attention to quality. Same as Total Dog Company. Find Total Dog in New Hope right off of 169 at 9432 36th Avenue North and at TotalDogCompany.com. Seward Co-op, serving the community for nearly 45 years, invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Seward focuses on locally grown and raised products, fair trade, and environmental sustainability. Shop their selection of meats, artisan cheeses, and house-made baked goods. Find Seward at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at seward.coo. Hello, Twin Cities listeners. Tom Hartman here. Join me for a talk on Saturday, June 29th at Next Chapter Booksellers. That's at 38 South Snelling Avenue. It's at 7 p.m. Mass shootings are on the rise, so what's holding the U.S. back from enacting change? The Hidden History of Guns in the Second Amendment, my new book, is an in-depth, historically informed view of the role guns have played throughout American history. From early European settlement to the Revolutionary War and Manifest Destiny, through the use of the slave patrols in the Deep South, which became the well-regulated militias so debated in 1787, to the recent school massacres. Plus, I'll talk solutions and sign books. In fact, a whole spectrum of my books. So if you have questions, come. We'll be doing a Q&A. Put it on your calendar. Saturday, June 29th at 7 p.m., Join me at Next Chapter Booksellers, 38 South Snelling Avenue. Look forward to seeing you there and bring your questions. Tag, you're it. Tom Hartman here for All Energy Solar. One of the myths about solar is that you save more if you wait, but waiting to switch can actually cost you more. While tax rebates make solar affordable, those rebates are often limited and decrease over time. So when you wait, you risk losing some of the incentives that make solar so easy to afford today. And besides, the sooner you get your All Energy Solar system, the sooner you reduce or even eliminate that high electricity bill. Make the switch today at allenergysolar.com. 
Native Ritz Radio is proud to announce we've added an extra hour. Yeah, Chuske, one hour goes by too fast. That's right, Uncle Curtis. I'll have extra time to share important information about our sacred animals. And report national and native news from all over the country and Canada. This new hour is sponsored by Robbins Kaplan LLP, dedicated to redefining excellence for high-stakes litigation representation in Indian country. We are awake. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headline, and in studio with me is Jack McCann, and McCann um, is Twin City Farm. And when we went on break, you were talking about the products that you have at Spirit Co-op, including the pork with the triple crown barbecue sauce in it. So is that like almost a ready-to-go? I mean, how does that work? If I buy that, then what can I do with it? That's one of my favorite recipes actually came up with. So, yes, it is ready to go. Um, and it's really fun for us because I get to collaborate. This is where I get my cooking aspect back in. I get to collaborate with what's the recipe. I try experiments. We work with a really small family processor just west of the cities by about an hour and a half. And so that recipe um, is a 48-hour cooked, slow-cooked, low-temp um, pork. And then it gets shredded out. We add the triple crown sauce in. And so at our household, we it's our kind of a go-to meal. We can throw some rice in the Instapot, warm it up in the microwave if we want, or on a pan if we want it a little crispier. It's ready to go. Any other recipes you'd have with that? I mean, so rice and pork, uh, make uh, tacos out of it? Yeah, you can you use know. it for tacos. I mean, it's a barbecue sauce, so you could make pork sandwiches. We just put make it rice bowls out of it, but it's yeah. pretty straightforward. So anything you would use a barbecued pork for, any sort of sides, like you could caramelize some carrots, um, is pretty nice. We like, to, in the summertime, obviously, you can grill some veggies or just fry up some veggies that you've got, or a nice summer salad with that amazing seed saver. Salad genetics. Yeah, and so and you do have a lot of fun recipes on your website. Um, so let's talk about some of them. Like, uh, I don't know if you can do it from the top. You have uh, grandma's uh, or grandpa's uh, cucumbers. Um, yeah, do you want to name some of your favorite recipes or describe some of them? Oh, yeah. I mean, some of them are we, – we love to cook, so that's kind of what we started working on. Our big push right now is to try to share meal plans um, and try to get a little bit more back into the education of how to cook and how to make – your own meals a little more economical in terms of your time, which also Mm -hmm. is economic, you know, financially too. So we put together some, the last month or two, some meal plans with some videos of like, here's what we're going to do on Sunday. We're going to prep this and this and that to make it real simple. Um, Probably my favorite recipe that we're just posted a video of, I would highly recommend it's a perfect time of year for it, is the, um, it's a raspberry um, uh, meringue where you cook. It's super simple. There's a video you can watch online, but you make a meringue with the with the egg whites. Just whip the egg whites, and then it bakes with some almonds on it. it puffs up, and then you make a raspberry whipped cream, and you roll it over on top of itself. It's very simple. I know it sounds complicated, but the video you should watch it. It's very easy. But it's, it's very easy. Yeah, unbelievable it's a, dessert, and it's almost raspberry season this oh, next few weeks. And right? I, so. uh, yeah, raspberries grow like weeds. In fact, <laughs> right? I really do. Oh, they do. I have way too many raspberries. I gotta. You've gotta try it. Oh, I know. I do. It's and it's been. It's so fun. This the season with that um any other uh recipes you want to uh share that comes to your mind in other words i'll, I'll jump in with one because because okay. i like this whole idea of lazy good food cooking and what i find is um if, if for me i don't measure things i just kind of go with the flow and, and it's it, like yesterday i was surprised at how good this turned out because it was like oh i'm late i actually made something it took me five minutes and it was ready you know on the stove and 15. So um, I just, I have um, uh, lentils and if I'm in a hurry, then I use some of the small ones. And I always buy the lentils from the bulk section because that saves so much money and it saves packaging. Does It's not in, not in plastics. And I'm going to take a little bit of a side tour here because one of the things we've been doing for decades is we actually rotate our mason jars from the bulk section. So you, you if you're buying from the bulk section, you want to measure your jar so you're not paying for that. Um, so you kind of get this little rhythm going. You also buy a lot from the vault section. Yeah, our basement, um, much to my wife Betsy's chagrin, is is pretty much a little mini co-op vault section. <laughs> yeah. 
But once you get used to it, you know, for, for someone who hasn't ever done it, it can seem a little daunting. But it is, it's, it's reasonable, and it reduces the packaging, and you get really high-quality food. And learning how to cook from those staples and having that, I always know I have lentils. I will never run out of lentils. I always know I have grains. I never run out with them. So I know all sorts of recipes. So take some lentils and some grains, throw it in a pot, add some vegetables. I mean, it really is that simple. And if you want some broth and maybe toss it off with some miso at the end. And then if you live these mixed families as vegetarians and non-vegetarians, mm -hmm. you can throw a hot dog in yours while the rest of the family has their vegan meal. Yes. I think adding a little bit of hot dog and maybe some herb bacon would be a great idea. Yeah. So we have, yeah, we have a, I really find it extremely helpful for cooking to just have those staples downstairs. You know, I've got like 10 pounds of chocolate chips, which I think should count as staples, <laughs> right? And they go in little ball jars and, um, or even you can, if you're buying from the bulk section, if you don't want to have the ball jars, you can go like, if you remember, we're a member at Seward, we can go in and say, hey, we'd like to buy actually like a 20 pound bag of the lentils. And then you get a discount even still beyond the regular bulk pricing. So you can take that 20 pound bag. They're never going to go bad. We have some food grade plastic tubs that are a little bit larger, a couple gallon tubs or so. And then that just is the lentil. Wow. Bin. So we just have our own little bins and the, you know, the half a dozen or so grains are in there and the other, other products too. Cool. Um, so uh, I want to talk about the collaboration now that you have with all these different farmers um, and um, share those stories with us. It's pretty fun because I, I know there's some farmers in the group where, you know, they were selling at the farmer's market, and that is really a slog. It's you're trying, you're out all day Saturday, all day Sunday. A lot of times, especially those families will have off-farm jobs, and so they're spending all of their time at the farmer's market trying to sell a couple hundred dollars of chicken or something, and then have to go home and do their chores and then do their regular job, and it, it just gets really overwhelming. So it means a lot, I think, to have a group where there's a dedicated set of consumers. We have about 700 families that have just a monthly membership to our group and they support these farms by saying, hey, we're just going to, we're typically going to spend 50 bucks a month or 500 bucks a month or whatever their family is using. And those farmers can then focus on what they're passionate about, which is taking care of their animals in, in the best way possible. And it, it just takes a huge amount of overhead off of their their family. I'm going to read a little bit from this uh, blog, Big Pleasures from Little Things. Living on the farm, I witness miracles you make possible every day. I would love for you to hear the frogs singing in our fields right now and to understand that you are helping to protect them. My hens forage in one of the pastures. At dusk, I close up the hens for the night and hear frogs singing in the low spots of our land. I stand at the door to the coop, looking out to the west and listening to their song. Just down a slope, a tiny hollow of land, rain collects and reflects the sky between the stalks of grass. This place is full of song now. Yeah, that's from Elizabeth, and she's uh, one of those farmers I think would agree that having it has that passion. I guess I was talking about of of caring for her animals, caring for the land, and um, and doesn't have to go to the farmers market anymore as being part of the group. And that farm we have on the farm tour is July thirteenth, so we'd love to come down and visit those frogs. Yeah, we're gonna be talking more about the um, Eat Local Farm Tour, and I also want to do a shout out for Minneapolis Farmers Market right now because to have people go and support those farmers are also really important. It's how do we diversify our food system, and I actually see this diversification of food system as part of protecting myself because I believe the dominant system is really rather fragile. I don't know if you agree with that. I mean, with, between climate change, water qualities, pesticides use, that, that's the way we're getting a lot of our food now is it really has um, sort of externalized the, ex, ex, the cost of farming. And so how do I take responsibility for my food um, and responsibility for my children and my children's children's food system? And, and waking up for that in a, in a joyful way. And I think, I think if you think about it this way, like what we're trying to help build up is the sustainable food system, whether it's at the farmer's market or Seward or through us. And, and the, if it's not sustainable, then by definition, it's going to end. <laughs> Yeah, and that doesn't, I don't want it to end. I, 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 Food's good, right? Food is good. <laughs> Life is good, right? I, I think that's on a t-shirt somewhere. So you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950. I'm Laura Headline, and we're talking with Jack McCann from Twins TC Farm. And you're listening to uh, AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Eat 
fresh and support local farmers this summer by shopping at the Minneapolis Farmers Market. The market has the best selection of fresh and local fruits and vegetables, meats, and farmstead goods. Fresh at the market now, cherry tomatoes, cauliflower, broccoli, cucumbers, zucchini, beets, carrots, and even some new baby potatoes. The Minneapolis Farmers Market is open every day, 6 a.m. to 1 p.m. Plus, there's additional locations Tuesday at the Hennepin County Government Center and Thursdays at Nicollet Mall. More details at mplsfarmersmarket.com. Hi, friends. I've been talking to you about Minnesota's first green cemetery, Prairie Oaks Memorial Eco Gardens. It's an entirely new way of looking at our last earthly step. Burials are designed to have as little impact on the environment as possible. For many of us, a continuation of the commitment we made during our lifetimes. Let me suggest you go to the website, mngreengraves.com. Explore what it is. Prairie Oaks Memorial Eco Gardens. It's a lovely place, a peaceful place. Minnesota's first green cemetery. It's Greek to Me is now open from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Tuesday through Sunday. Be sure to join them for lunch. With warmer weather upon us, their magnificent Grecian patio is open. It's Greek to Me is located on the corner of Lake and Lindell at 626 West Lake Street in Minneapolis or at itsgreektomemn.com. In addition to free side street parking, there is metered cross street parking and a toll lot behind the restaurant along Garfield Avenue, as well as the Dulanos parking lot on Lake Street in Garfield. Hi, this is Ken Hagland, host of Living Healthy and Aging Well, inviting you to listen to our new show airing on Saturdays from noon to one, where we talk about your health and your life and provide insights to living and aging well. Each week, we provide answers to important questions regarding health care, elder care, end-of-life care, and caregiver support to help you and your loved ones plan for the future and enjoy your highest quality of life today. Please join us every Saturday from noon to one for Living Healthy and Aging Well. This is Chad, owner of AM950, here to tell you about Snap Construction. They're experts in roofing, siding, window, and insurance restoration. They have energy-efficient products available for both residential and commercial properties. This spring, when we needed a company to take a look at a problem with our roof, I called the company I knew I could trust, Snap Construction. I've known Ryan, the owner at Snap Construction, for years, so I knew I could trust him. Don't just take my word for it. Check out their reviews online. They are arguably the most well-reviewed exterior contractor online in the metro area. Over the years, Ryan has always said the same thing to me about his work. If we build it, shouldn't we be held accountable for the work indefinitely? He backed that statement up years ago when Snap Construction was a pioneer in offering a lifetime craftsmanship guarantee on all their work. For a free estimate or general questions, call the locally owned company AM950 Trusts Snap Construction at 612-333-SNAP. That's 612-333-SNAP or find them online at snapconstruction.com. They have financing options available. With your AM950 weather, I'm Brett Johnson. Look for sunny skies today with a high near 92. Tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 74. Sunday, a chance for rain with a high near 93. And Monday, rain with a high around 83. Your roof and siding are the most visible parts of your home, so get them clean with Blue Sky Services starting at only $447. Their safe, soft wash method won't cause any damages and will make your home look like new. They're bonded, insured, well-trained, and experienced. Call 651-447-4484 or visit blueskyservices.com. Try to see it my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go? Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plan to nourish the seeds of change. In studio with us is Jack McCain, um, Jack McCann with uh, TC Farm. And um, we've been having a fun conversation about diverse farms and, and, and um, rebuilding this local food system. And you've had a front row seat at trying to help make it easier for other farmers to to farm in a sustainable way. Yeah, Tell- it's, it's been pretty fun to to work with them and to see everybody's different perspectives and different ideas come to the table and collaborate and try to make everybody's individual farms better as part of the group. Cool. I want to read some more from this blog post. Um, so uh, this place is full of songs. She's talking about her farm. Farther west beyond our fence line, the neighbors raise conventional crops year after year. Corn one season and soybeans the next. A field of dry corn stalks left standing from last year's harvest spreads out immense and impossibly golden in the sitting sun. At the edge of the horizon, the sky spreads wide and magnificent and so much bigger than anything beneath it. Dust comes in layers of pink and purples and in an unimaginably expansive shade of dark blue that looks gentle even in its greatness. It is breathtaking. 
But sadly, not much is alive on the enormous swath of land past our fence line, even though spring is hard upon us. Our land is green and singing, the sounds of frogs so rich that I want to see them. I leave the coop and I walk down to the low ground where the wet earth squishes each time I take a step. They hear my steps and are silent. Every single frog has stopped singing, and I expect that they are all looking at me with golden eyes and delicate white throats. They can't wait to feel again with songs the moment I walk away. I can't see any frogs, but their silence tells me they see me, which fills me with a surprising wave of gratitude. But um, my hens are low-lying in the field beyond. Um, as soon as the land dries enough to support the weight of enormous tractors, the other farmers will be out in their fields spraying uh, ammonia, a, um, a fertilizer. This chemical has already aged their fertile and ancient soil by thousands of years. I don't like seeing this. I don't like seeing all this hit the frogs that are sing in, that sing in their fields just outside our buffer zone. I don't know if I read that quite right, but the sentiment was so beautiful. alive. That, isn't it beautiful? Wow. I mean, it does make you tear. So, I mean, she's looking at her farm. She sees all this living life, and then she looks out at the conventional farm next to her. Yeah, it's pretty over... I mean, I'm kind of overtaken aback. I, mean, I obviously read that post and, and reviewed it before we put it on our, on our website. But, yeah, it's pretty pretty beautiful. She's a good writer. Very good writer. And, and uh, you know, so, and, and I know I feel this too because we don't spray in our yard and then we look at all the other toxic yards that are being sprayed. And in our yard, we've we actually got a Canadian frog. I mean, we got three frogs. We got a little white Canadian frog. You know, we can see all these different bees and it's just, there's this living world. And yet, some reason, humans are like so destructive on the planet. So, you know, it's interesting. We moved from, we grew up, like I said, we grew up in Eden Prairie, and obviously Minneapolis area has incredible park and trail system and nature in the city. But we still had this idea maybe of what those kind of marketing pictures we get from the farms if there's the red barn and some beautiful field. But that doesn't really exist very much, many places, like she's describing there. And when we had our little hobby farm surrounded by conventional fields and feedlots, you know, we we really didn't have very much nature. There was occasionally, you know, a deer that would come through. And then eventually our fields had tons of snakes and frogs and all those kinds of things. But when we moved back into the cities, all of a sudden there was turkeys and coyotes and like <laughs> every different kind of critter. And there was so much nature around us. It was just really interesting dynamic to go back and forth between the different worlds. Right. So let's talk about some of the specifics um, right now. Like, let's get into climate change and farming. What is the connection between climate change and farming? Well, certainly there's a lot of um, greenhouse gas emissions from the tractor use and everything else. So that's where sometimes you would argue that an organic field uses more tractors, so there's more emissions there. But generally speaking, the organic fields are sequestering more carbon in the soil from increasing the, what is called the organic content of that soil. So when a piece of vegetable matter or like a stem or a leaf breaks down and turns into soil from the worms and things, that's actually grabbing carbon out of the air and sequestering it in the field. And if, you're, if your field um, soil depth grows, there is a significant, just massive amount of carbon from just a couple of inches of soil. Remember a few years ago, there was a ton of rains in Iowa early, and kind of like this year here, and there was so much topsoil that washed down the river and that was there eventually just eroded and went released into the air. It was something like a ton per acre in the least impacted areas. Think about one ton of soil in an acre seems like a lot to us, but it's only a couple house lots you know, put together and having a ton of that and gone in just a week, you know, it would take forever for that to build back up. Well, any ideas? I mean, this is a really wet season, so all these environmental problems are happening because um, because we've, and I think the unusual wet season is because of climate change, and then it's also exasperating, just like the wildfires are increasing the chances for climate change. Yeah, there's definitely a negative feedback loop from the Arctic to California to the Midwest, for sure. Um, things that farmers can do, and a lot of farmers are doing, even whether they're conventional or organic, is to plant more cover crops. Um, and even um, Keith, I mentioned earlier, did a, a study for the University of Minnesota, in um, actually in some of his rented conventional fields, where they were 
interceding between the rows of corn, other cover crops during the growing season to grab up that nitrogen, to sequester more carbon. And they found, you know, I think for the most part that they had better yields and it was actually a good investment. So some of that research on both the conventional side and on maybe the alternative agriculture side, there's there's actors in, in both camps trying to move forward in a positive way for climate change. And and also trying to move forward in a way that's ultimately unified. It's not like those are bad guys, these are good guys. Exactly. But how do we how do we get unified? Because we all want clean water and, and vibrant soils for future generations. Yeah, there's definitely a different of opinion of in the groups of why this is happening and if it is even happening and all of that. But but I agree, have, viewing the world as good or bad or, or, or whatnot is is not necessarily helpful. But you can view it by tasty or not tasty. I, uh, there's definitely different opinions, but I would agree that there's a huge difference between uh, you know a six-week-old Cornish cross chicken and a, and a 13-week-old Red Ranger. Yeah, and so and that's that's one of the things that really brought you to to your work is is simply taste. Yeah, it turns out chicken actually tastes like something, not just quote like chicken. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's, it's, uh, and the other thing I wanted to talk about is is water impacts um, of 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 farming. Um, obviously, the big one is nitrates in the water, um, and and. And so small-scale farms can, or in some cases, they may do a worse job at protecting farm, uh, protecting water. But what do you see as the key water issues around farming? I think having animals on real pasture, like actual green pasture, not the kind of what counts as pasture from the USDA definition. But if the animals are out on pasture, their waste is going to quickly be turned um, into soil. I think I read in one of the Michael Pollan books or Joel Salton book that if you have um, cattle moving from field to field, you know, the dung beetles that are not alive in a conventional pasture or hay pasture very much, they'll come back alive with that manure and they'll actually be able to bury within 24 hours like one ton of manure per acre. Think about that, like oh, so many insects, pick that up, bury it and lay their eggs in it and they're, they're aerating the soil, they're capturing that nitrogen, they're doing all kinds of good things. So the beef, you know, if it's on a feedlot, it's just running all that waste into the river effectively. If it's being rotated properly, you're actually protecting the waterways. It's it's not a good or bad, like you were saying. Yeah. Um, and the, you wanted to talk a little bit about misleading labels, because, you know, we get these pasture-raised labels, and what do they actually mean? Or, you know, you yeah. want to talk on that a little bit? Yeah, I have a real issue with anything that just isn't quite 100% honest, then maybe it's a fault of mine, but it's like, if it isn't completely true, I've, <laughs> it goes back to that, you know, good or bad type thing. I have a real hard time with it. And what happens with, whether it's grass-fed labels or pasture-raised, I think we were talking about regenerative label, when there isn't a, a, a real meaning, um, then anybody can just make that label. If you say, my eggs are raised with sunshine and, you know, love or something like, like great you know who can say that so what happens though is there's kind of a big push recently for pasture raised or even a little bit further past you know grass-fed beef and so big agriculture says well we want in on this kind of free money basically and so they um will lobby the usda and the usda then officially defines if you put pasture raised on your label that it means something, but what it means is what basically big agriculture wants it to mean, which is a little door to the outside and quote unquote access to pasture, you know, or outside, not even pasture, just 120 days a year. So there's no requirement that that outside is green and growing like we as consumers would think. Um, there's no requirement that the birds actually go out there. Um, and, and so as a result, you're seeing all these, everybody wants pasture raised. So now you see all these pasture raised labels. Now this is true just for poultry. There's a little bit different definition for, for beef um, products. This is why you see pasture raised eggs and pasture raised chickens in the store because it's very loosely defined. So grass fed beef is another one. Grass fed beef doesn't mean that they're eating only grasses. It just means they're not being fed grains. And so a significant amount um, of quote-unquote grass-fed beef is actually just raised the same as regular beef in a feedlot. But instead of being fed corn and soy, they're being fed sugar or industrial food waste, like the <laughs> cores of apples or Skittles, like literally Skittles or candies and things like that. So they're replacing the high-energy grains with high-energy sugars of a different sort that still meet the USDA definition, and then that's quote-unquote grass-fed. 
Ouch. Um, and so this is one of the reasons I love Seward Co-op. You go there and the brands, I can tell you who the farmers are. And, and I know these farmers. And so we can talk to each other. And everything is, um, you know, it's all nuanced. We know that. Life is complex. So we've got to get right. over it. It's complex. But when I can actually go visit your farm and see how you're raising it, and then I, I can make choices for my family based on education. And there's a wonderful event coming up on July 13th about that. Yeah, we're um, been part of the co-op local farm tour for geez, I don't know, five, six years. It's been a long time, um, and and so we and uh, dozens of other farms uh, open up for the same day, so that it's not just an hour drive to see one place. If you can come to our farm where Elizabeth has those frogs on July 13th, and then go. 10 minutes down the road and visit another farm that maybe has vegetables or maybe has other animals. You can see the difference between between those. It's a pretty fun tour. Um, all free to the public. Just kind of show up and have a fun day. It's pretty cool. I've gone on it several times. I absolutely love it. And so it's, you can get the information at Eat Local, um, uh, the food co-op tour at, at the from the co-ops. And um, any other stories you have from there when people come visit, like kids' reactions to the farm? That's a fun question. Um, and, and you have young kids, and, and you yeah, have great my, videos with your young kids. So. They, they love the animals, and they're really excited about the cooking videos now. They like want to make sure they're part of the cooking video. We're going to try to make uh, cookies yet today with Sean. He wants to make his favorite cookies for a video, so that'll be fun. But yeah, the kids love the, love coming out for the tours. It's very kid-friendly. Um, see the baby chicks, in our case, and, and the hens, and, and, and walk around, and it's all fairly compact. You're not walking for miles and miles, so it's, it's pretty nice. And where is your farm located? Uh, the farm that um, we're, is on tour. There's about a dozen farms in our group. So the one that's on tour is the one that Elizabeth was just writing about. It's just south by Northfield area. So just south of the cities by whatever, an hour. Okay. And what city is that in? So it's in, it's in Dundas. Dundas. And there's okay. a map on our website and on the local farm tour website. Okay, great. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, Progressive Voice of Minnesota. I'm Laura Headline. We're talking with uh, Jack McCann with TC Farm. Taste and Treasure at Vinaigrette, where we have some warm seasonal recipes all ready to create dynamite meals. Our fig balsamic vinegar pairs perfectly with roasted Brussels sprouts or baked brie. And sweet potatoes are always a winner, but never more than when they're roasted with a drizzle of vinaigrette cinnamon or orange-fused extra virgin olive oil on top. Come in today for more custom-crafted food and cocktail recipes at Vinaigrette, 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis and 287 Water Street in downtown Excelsior. Online at vinaigrettemn.com. Chances are after spring cleaning, you missed a spot. A couple really big spots, like your roof and siding. Run your fingers across your siding. You'll likely get a gross residue. And your roof probably has some black streaks, too. Your roof and siding aren't always easy to clean, but they're definitely the most visible parts of your home that give it its curb appeal. So let Blue Sky Services clean your roof and siding. Blue Sky's safe soft wash method won't cause any damages and will make your home look like new. Right now, Blue Sky Services is running their summer special where you can get your whole house roof and siding clean starting at only $447. That's the most viewed parts of your home clean for only $447. Then mention AM950 when you call Blue Sky Services to get an additional $50 off. So get the curb appeal back on your home and call Blue Sky Services at 952-467-2447. That's 952-467-2447. I'm Connie Burek, co-host of Awakened Living Infusion Radio Show. Join Michelle Kitzmiller and I as we focus on all aspects of health, wellness, spirituality, and growth from a mind, body, spirit, emotion perspective. On the Awakened Living Radio Show, we will discuss stress, self-care, fear, happiness, beliefs, communication, joy, pain, trauma, and more. Join us for the Awakened Living Infusion Radio Show Saturdays at 10 a.m. Let us share with you ways to infuse vitality into life. Jeff Warner for Warner Stellion, Minnesota's original appliance specialist. We've been guaranteeing the lowest price on appliances for 70 years. We appreciate the opportunity to earn your trust. We will deliver and install your new appliances as only specialists can. Now for a very limited time, Warner Stellion saves you even more on appliances with unbeatable discounts. Plus trusted fast and free services, including delivery, haul away, and 18 months no interest financing. 
Visit your nearest Warner Stellion or shop online at warnerstellion.com today. Eat fresh and support local farmers this summer by shopping at the Minneapolis Farmers Market. The market has the best selection of fresh and local fruits and vegetables, meats, and farmstead goods. Fresh at the market now, cherry tomatoes, cauliflower, broccoli, cucumbers, zucchini, beets, carrots, and even some new baby potatoes. The Minneapolis Farmers Market is open every day, 6 a.m. to 1 p.m. Plus, there's additional locations Tuesday at the Hennepin County Government Center and Thursdays at Nicollet Mall. More details at mplsfarmersmarket.com. So welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. With us is Jack McCann, uh, TC Farm. And TC Farms works with small, independent, diverse farms, just like the ones you see on all the ads, but they're really like small, dependent, diverse farms, which you can visit at the uh, Eat Local Co-op Farm Tour on July 13th. And um, one of the things I wanted to joke about is there's this phrase that you don't want to know how the sausage is made. You know, it's an old cliche. Right. Don't We don't know how the sausage is made. Do you want to know how the sausage is made? You know, I, I think you really do. Um, if it's um, if it's well made, there's nothing really disturbing about it. When we make our sausages, we have dozens of different varieties of deli meats and sausages that we deliver to our members um, in the local area. But they are all recipes we've come up with. The ingredients that are used is the same ingredient we would basically use our ground beef or ground pork. So there's no weird things that you might imagine happening in the sausages. But the cool thing we get to do then is we get to control every ingredient. There's no binders, there's no phosphates. A lot of sausages are inexpensive in the store. Like you said, cheap food isn't cheap. They're cheap because they can bind up and emulsify lots of water and extra fat into those sausages or deli meats to make it less expensive. I mean, if your product is 20% more water than it would naturally be if it was just ground pork, it's 20% cheaper, right? And mm -hmm. so that's real common. That changes the flavor, which again is kind of why we got into this is how do we get the best tasting, you know, bologna or whatever the case might be. And um, and the bologna is really different. It's not what you think of as bologna um, if you make it well. And so in case someone's just joining us now, I mean, you started um, a hobby farm after reading Michael Pollan's book and a bunch of books on, on, on the farm system. I want to know, was it hard? Wow, it was really hard. Um, Sometimes I'm a little um, naive in how much work things are going to be before I start them. So at the time, I was consulting at a geothermal power plant and a hydroelectric plant and at facilities in Northern California. So I was actually flying back and forth doing um, operational process consulting with them. So I know it's not very environmentally friendly to fly back and forth, but it was a great job. And, and we also started this hobby farm. And then we decided it would be great if we could share this with other families. So we started a little CSA with about 60 other families to start. And then we had a baby, and I was still working in California. So it was really overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, what do you see for the future of farming? I think there's going to be an interesting dynamic. I think that um, consumers will just, the more consumers can learn about the transparency issues in farming, the more the quality of the food can increase. And I, I would really like to see some of the economic equity concerns be addressed or a lot of the conventional farming, it, the uh, families that are under contract by the big egg companies, they're not really making a great wage. Um, and, and the extra work they're doing um, is not necessarily translating to a quality product and a and a um, inexpensive product. A lot of those profits are being taken out of their family, and the and the per consumers are not really necessarily benefiting. So I guess it'll be interesting to see. I hope maybe you said what do I see happening versus what I hope happening. I hope that we'll see some of those dynamics change where all of those involved have a sustainable wage, and uh, whether you're the the family under contract from a large egg company or you're a worker in a large processing facility, you have a fair wage and a fair um, working environment. Um, and I think what we're trying to do is make the other side of that more economical. Like small farms, it is more expensive to buy higher quality food, but what can we do to be more efficient while still maintaining a high quality product and, and a good living wage for the people involved? And again, I go back to the external costs. I mean, the the industrial system um, increases climate emissions, um, harms water, takes the organic soil out, or organic um, content out of the soil. I mean, it has all these consequences that aren't included in our economic math. It would be really nice if there was a way to have, say, this, this pack of hot dog is $3 plus... <laughs> 
Plus, it killed 18 fish in the Gulf of Mexico <laughs> or whatever. You know? But I don't know that you can really tie things back that close. But I think the more that consumers can be aware that, you know, sometimes if you pay for things that are just extra nice, but for the most part, you are getting what you're paying for. And, and you're getting, if you get a high-quality product with integ- that's grown with integrity, you are making a direct difference on the local environment as well as globally. And I'm just getting back to this thing on um, big pleasures from little things. Um, everyone who buys our chickens and eggs offer a little bit of protection for the songs of frogs and for other teeming life that is naturally part of our miraculous soil. I would love to make that just be every field in Minnesota. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? And wouldn't it feel better? I mean, last last show, I felt like I've, I've just thrown out this. I just read Eric Fromm's To Have or To Be. It's a, a book written several decades ago. But it's like, I mean, when I go back to my high school res, um, um, high school event, you know, where you go 10 years, I get reunion. Oh, right. I couldn't yeah. think of the word reunion there for a second. You know, do I want to like, here's who I am. I'm, I'm, or do I want to be with people, you know, and how we can make that transformation and how important that would be for our whole economic system if we can, if we, if we go more in towards living economic which is what I love about AM 950 and that we're owned by a person who only owns one radio station. And it's, it's, it's if we move into this living economics, that naturally feels better. It naturally feeds our deeper self. Aren't those like 10-year intervals great and stepping back and reflecting and say, wow, what did that, what happened the last 10 years? And to everybody else, they all got older, but I sure didn't. <laughs> but, you know, I think the more that you can reflect and say, you know, what do I want to do the next 10 years? What kind of incremental change? And maybe, maybe it isn't buying, you know, the most expensive food, but maybe you can be a little more conscientious about that next step and, and your families, what can works for your family? How can you move forward in that continuum to move in the direction of the, at least of the attributes that are important to, to yourself. Right. And uh, now get on Ryan, people, if you go to Seward Co-op, where they find you and what products are available there? And So the three products we have right now at Seward Co-op are the um, the no nitrate, no sugar herb bacon, which is a fun recipe we we worked out ourselves from inspiration from a, a farmer in Oregon. We Airbnb'd at his farm. It was pretty cool. And then um, we have our organic seasoned hot dogs, and which are fantastic. And then we use the Triple Crown organic sauce to make a ready-to-eat pulled pork there. We're also looking to add some deli meats. And right now those products are just at the Franklin store, not at the Friendship store, by the way. Okay. And then um, you also have your website with a bunch of cool videos on cooking that feature your kids. So your website address? Our website is T see like twincities.farm there's no.com on that and so we have all the meal planning ideas recipe ideas cooking tips and then all of our full line of products that we deliver direct to consumers too awesome awesome and uh, earlier this morning i was at this meeting with somebody who said you know we just have to have the global food system that's you know that's the bread and butter we need global that's the globalization feed the world that's that's what's required can we relocalize our local food shed? Is that even possible? Is it desirable? I think that it's a little disingenuous for, for any industry or, or lobbyist to say that we need to, quote, feed the world because we burn like one third of our cereal production in ethanol, which is not really necessary. And, um, and so if, we're, if we have so much food that we can literally burn enough to feed like the entire continent of Africa and just the United States, I don't think we need to worry about being able to feed the world. I think it's more about how we feed the world. Right, and how we feed the world that's sustainable for all life, including those frogs. Right. <laughs> those singing frogs and listening to the songs of frogs. frogs. Um, so last 36 seconds, anything else we want to say? I would encourage people to just learn how to cook. Like, it doesn't have to be perfect when you're learning to cook. Just try something. It's still going to be food when you're done. If it tastes terrible, at least you learned something from it. Right. And if you're dealing with good and great ingredients, the food usually turns out just fine. It does. If you have good ingredients and you don't try to be perfect, you'll, you'll be happy with the result. Awesome. Hey, you're listening to Food Freedom Radio. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. And uh, check out the uh, uh, Farm Co-op Tour on July 13th. Yes. Woman.